0: Romans chapter six. I'm going to be reading verses 15 through 19 this morning. And before I do that, um, just along with, you know, Alan sharing a burden in his personal life, and it's and it's real, and we stand with you, brother. Um, but just burdens all over. Um, this is definitely worth. Worth mentioning, and not just in passing, but we only have so much time this morning. Uh, but one of the ministries that we support, um, the Jonathan David Foundation, over in uh, rural India, um, it's an orphanage with, a, I believe, about thirty kids in it. I believe the youngest one is four. Um, Want to spend just a moment uh, in prayer for them too. In just a second after I after I read the passage and we and we pray again, um, it's it's an orphanage with about thirty kids uh, and. All sorts of chaos is broken loose. Um, It's a very complex political uh, and social situation, but the sum of it is, is that there's somewhat of a civil war going on. um, And there are literally all around them, all around the orphanage, there are villages that uh, have been and are being burned. Um, The uh, government has been brought in. Uh, Friday night, I believe, it got so bad um, that they actually fled into the jungle. Uh, But then uh, some of the um, national guard caught them and kind of rounded them back up into the orphanage again it usually houses about 30 kids but i believe there are 150 people um held up in uh in the orphanage right now and there are like there's like a courtyard with some walls uh that they can go out into uh but again 150 people is a lot for that space um they are okay they are safe however they are being held there at gunpoint um at this point point. and so uh yeah, we want to pray for them um, this morning as we come to the Lord uh, and ask his blessing upon, upon his word and upon everything else. Let me, let me read this, and then I'll pray, pray again, you join with me in prayer, especially uh, for our friends over in India. But Romans chapter 6, verse 15, says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Would you just bow your heads with me and join me in prayer here together before our Heavenly Father. Um, God, thanks again for your word. We just give this time to you. We love you. We need you. So many needs represented here this morning, but Lord, we just declare that you are sufficient for them all. Um, Christ is enough, and Christ is the answer. And though we might not see it in some specifics right now in this moment, we believe that we will. Uh, You've never failed us, and we love you, and we ask for just the blessing upon your word this morning as we share it. But Father, we also just want to take a moment and just lift up our brothers and sisters over in India right now. And we pray for the peace of God which passes all understanding to guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray that you would show your hand mighty upon them and be with them. Um, And Lord, as we sang earlier, we pray that in the midst of a situation where the natural tendency would be to not just be afraid but perhaps terrified, we pray that your peace and your joy. And your strength and your love, even for their enemies, would fill them. And that you would stand guard around them, Lord. We thank you for the work that you are doing throughout the world. And we thank you, Father, that mystery of mysteries, Father, that you love us right here today in this room as much as you love anybody. We don't deserve it. We are nothing. But it is because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and his shed blood that we stand and have hope. So please help us today God. Please help us. Make us aware of our need and then help us to bring our need to you. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. You know why there's war and disruption in the lives of little orphan kids in India? It's because of sin. You know why marriages break up? Sin. You know why peace is robbed from children in their homes? Sin. You know why relationships that were once close get broken and ruined? Sin. You know why we oftentimes don't flourish and don't bear fruit? To the Father's glory? Sin. You know why Christians are oftentimes um, feel robbed of, of, of power in their lives? Sin. <laughs> the answer to those questions and many more is always sin. Sin stinks. Amen? You know, that was a deep theological statement it does and in this section of Romans not just these verses that we're looking at today but in 6 in 7 and in 8 Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he, he so desires to help us God so desires to help us in our battle with sin and I'm not just talking to people that don't know Jesus I'm talking about believers I'm talking about many of us, if not most of us, in this room. Paul is is writing here, and and this, this section of Scripture is of the utmost relevance. Paul wants to give real help to believers in their battle against sin. And he wants us to understand that not only, as he's talked about in the first five chapters, have we been delivered from sin's penalty, but we have also been freed from its power. We have been freed in Christ Jesus from sin's power. And the reason I say that twice and emphatically is because if I was you and I was sitting there and I was hearing somebody say that and I've made the same argument in my heart many times. It's like, Eric, I know that's what it says but that is not the experience of my life is that many people not just people but even Christians, what their experience seems to be and what the word of God says seem to be in opposition to each other. They don't seem to fit. It doesn't seem to go together. Now here, hear what I'm saying. I am not saying that you won't sin. I am not saying that you will not have to struggle against sin. I am not saying that you will not at times feel like you are helpless against sin. But what I am saying is that if you are a Christian, if you have been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, what I am saying is that in Christ, you are not powerless against sin. You are not powerless. And if you say that in Christ Jesus you are powerless against sin, then here's the deal. You are contending with the word of God. And by contending, I mean you are disagreeing with it. Because in Christ Jesus, we are not powerless against sin. This is what Paul has been saying. Not just in these verses that I just read, but leading up to this, There is a real freedom in Christ Jesus, but it is understanding what this freedom is, how it works, the nature of it, how the Bible speaks of freedom, and not how we understand freedom, especially as Americans that live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. There are some things, there are some misconceptions that we have that need to be rectified. But this freedom is real, And it is given to us like everything else by God's grace and through his word and through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to talk about primarily this morning what this freedom is, that we might be able to get a handle on it, that we might be able to grasp it and that it might become increasingly real in our lives more and more until the day that we go home to glory. And so in talking about this freedom, just to guide our way through it here, and again, I I think this is, while it is um, some bumpy sledding, so to speak, through Romans 6, and meaning in in just understanding the argument and and what exactly Paul's trying to say, there's nothing that could be more relevant for us. (laughs) How many of you have struggled with sin this past week? Anybody? This morning? (laughs) And this help is real. So here's what I want to look at. I want to look at the source of our freedom, the nature of our freedom, and the guardian of our freedom. The source of our freedom, the nature of our freedom, and the guardian of our freedom. First of all, the source of our freedom. Here it is, the source of our freedom. It is found in slavery to Christ. And in slavery to Jesus Christ, by extension, and this is what Paul's been saying, and you'll see this from the text, and hopefully you have seen this as we've been studying this passage, is that in slavery to Christ, we are also slaves of grace, and we are slaves to obedience. We are slaves of Christ, and by extension, slaves of grace and slaves of obedience. Now, going back in the context, like Paul has been setting this up, he's been using this language here as he's been working throughout this portion of the letter, all the way back in uh, chapter 5, verse 21. He says, so that as sin reigned in death, this is the idea of a master, of somebody who's in charge. As sin once reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. If you look right here in the text in verse 16, it says, "Do not do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness." We are slaves of Christ, this grace is found in him, but we are also slaves to obedience. It says. Now here's here's the here's the big elephant in the room that if this is going to have any practical impact on our lives that we have to understand. Okay? Is that just as Paul says there, especially in verse 16, you're either slaves of sin or you're slaves of obedience. Is that those are the only two options. You understand? There's not a third way. Like I need you to see what he says, but I also need you to observe what isn't there. There isn't a third option, i.e., I'm a slave, but I'm just independent. I'm just on my own. You're either a slave to sin and death, or you are a slave to Jesus Christ and to righteousness and to grace and to obedience. Those are the two options. There is no third way. Are you with me? Now, hear me like, Eric, do we do that? We 1,000% do that. We think that there is a third way. Now, here's the thing. You see a manifestation of this in our culture right now, and I don't, I don't, I'm not even really gonna preach about this. I'm just using this as an illustration. But we live in a day and time where we want to say that there's more than two options in regards to our sexuality, that we're not—it's not just male and female. Again, it's a binary choice. There's only two, but we—we've created a third way, and a fourth way, and a fifth way, and a sixth way, and however many ways they've come up with at this point. But that is not reality. It is not true. And so, what do you see in our culture at large, where we think that our actions can somehow um, shape reality? They don't. Our actions must be conformed to reality and to what is true. What do you see? You see chaos and you see confusion. Now again, that's just the metaphor. I'm not really even here to preach on that this morning, although it's definitely worth talking about. But just bring that over in the same way, Christian. If you have invented in your mind... A third way in which, well, I know I don't want to be a slave to sin, but I'm also not a slave to Christ. I want this third way where I get justification, where I trust in Jesus, but I'm not his slave. I'm living independent. I'm doing my own thing. Brother, sister, that's not a thing. And chaos and confusion will mark your life. That's it. There are two ways. There are two masters. Please hear me on this because this is the big thing that we, when we begin to talk about freedom that we don't talk about it the way the Bible talks about it. We talk about it as Americans. Please hear me. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are a free people. We are a free people. Do you hear me? You see it in the text? We are a free people. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, not future, past tense, and having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. We are a free people, but we are not an independent people. We are a free people, but we are not an independent people. We are slaves of Jesus Christ. This is the message of the Bible from beginning to end. How did we get set free? Well, back in Romans chapter 6 in the beginning, again, Paul uh, asks a very similar question to the one that he asks in verse 15. And again, you'll, you'll see these two questions. They're very similar. Verse fifteen, he says, "What then are we to sin because we are under law? Not under law, but under grace. By no means." Uh, back in chapter six, verse one, he says, "What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin?" Again, the same question that 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 grace may abound, and he gives the emphatic answer, "By no means." Is that we have been set free from sin by the grace of God, but the nature of our freedom has one come through death. That's the beginning of chapter six is that we died to it. That's his answer. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And here, the question is very similar, but here the answer is not only have you died to sin and been set free, but now you've been enslaved to another. When you died to Christ, you were resurrected with him. We talked about this a few weeks ago at our baptism service. But you were resurrected not to an independent life, but to slavery to Christ. And the good news of the gospel is that it is in slavery to Christ that true freedom is found. Why do we want to continue in sin, thinking that we can do it on our own? See, here's, here's, the, here's, here's the nugget, and please hear me. This is, it's true of my life. It's true of your life. Yes, sometimes there's a lot of complexity and fog around it. But at the core, it is very, very, very simple is that the essence of our sin is that we want to live independently of him. That's it. In the garden, God gave a way to live, eat from every tree of the garden, just don't eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They chose to live independently of him and go their own way. When Satan fell from heaven, he wanted to live independently of God. He wanted to be his own God, his own king, his own master, his own ruler. Brothers and sisters, it's not a thing. It never ends well. It will always end in confusion and in chaos. Now, this idea of being a slave not only to Christ, but of his grace and of obedience. Again, look at verse 16. Read it again. Do, not, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Look, it's the same thing down in verse 19. Verse 16, it's stated as a question. Verse 19, it's stated as a command. Look at verse 19. He says, I am speaking, excuse me, in human terms, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. It's a command. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. These are the two options. Now, I think that we... I think that we, um, because we've misunderstood not only freedom, but we've misunderstood grace, I think that we have a hard time talking about obedience without making it synonymous with legalism or with works-based righteousness. That's not it. You need to have categories for both. Legalism is trying to do something in order to gain God's favor. The gospel is we've received God's favor totally by grace, and in light of that grace, we offer our lives in obedience. And he calls us to obey him. And we are slaves to this obedience. Why? Because Jesus loves obedience. Why does he love obedience? Because he hates disobedience. Why does he hate disobedience? Because it brings confusion and chaos. It wrecks the world. And so he wants his people to bear this mark of obedience. Like, well, what what are the rules? Here's what they are. Okay? Okay? The Bible sums it up very nicely for us. I can't think of a more succinct place to go other than Galatians 5, 6. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. And don't get hung up on circumcision. It's just, in other words, keeping the law, the ceremonial law, it counts for nothing. He says, but only, the only thing that matters, but only faith working through love. What is the obedience that God requires of us that we are to be slaves to? It is to trust him. First and foremost, every moment of every day that we believe him. Jesus was asked, what must I do to do the works of God? He said, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. We believe him and we love people. And as we believe what he says is true, and what he says is that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he's going to see us through to the end, that he's never going to leave us or forsake us, that he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, and so many more things. As we believe those things, you know what's going to come out of our life? The fruit of love, of laying down our life, of serving others, of forgiving one another, of being kind to one another, of being patient with one another. That's what's going to come out of our life as we obey that first command of simply believing what he says is true about him and about us. This is the obedience that he wants to mark our lives. And we are here, this word is several times in the text. It was last week in verse 13. It's here in verse 16. It's two times in verse 19. And it is this word to present or presented. Okay, circle that in your Bible. It's a very formal word. And we are to present ourselves, but we are also to present our members. When he says members, he is speaking of presenting the members of our bodies. Might be your hand, might be your eye, might be your ear, might be your feet, might be your sexual organ. Every single part of you is presented to Christ Jesus for his glory. That every single part of you, he is redeeming and is now under his lordship. Your mind, your heart, your thoughts, everything. Every member, every part of who you are We are to formally present it to him. Just very quickly, quick rundown of this word. (coughs) Again, Presented, it has, a, it has a, an air of formality to it. So like in our culture, maybe somebody like, like getting an award and it's presented to them. Um, in Luke chapter two, verse 22, when Jesus was born and they took him up to the temple, it says, and when the time had come for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Um, in Acts one, three, after Jesus was risen from the dead, it says he presented himself alive to them after his 40 days, like proving, hey, it's, it really is me. I really did raise from the dead. In Acts chapter 23, Paul is arrested and it says, and when they had come to Caesarea and delivered uh, the letter to the governor, they presented Paul, so soldiers came and they presented Paul before the governor. Um, Paul uses this language in 2 Corinthians eleven two. He says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you. In other words, I, I in, like, gave you over as a, as a father back in that day in arranged marriages would to his daughter. He says, I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Do you see what I'm talking about? This is how we present ourselves to God. And here's what I want to ask you this morning, because maybe you didn't know. Did you know that this is part of it? Did did you know that this is in lockstep with the whole of the gospel? That your salvation is found in a man who is Savior and Lord? Lord. your salvation, your eternal life is found in him. Not just in a systematic theology, not just in doctrine that's written down on paper. Your your life, your salvation, everything that you're banking everything on is found in Jesus Christ. And when we come to him, we come and we present all that we are to him. That is salvation. And he he is worthy of it all. And again, I ask you, like, and I'm and I'm being I'm being serious. I'm not trying to be like, um, I don't know, really sarcastic uh, or facetious. But like, I'm serious because here's the deal. In the same way that we're saying in our culture that it's not just male and female, there's a third way, and that's a lie. In the same way, I would argue, and I don't have time to go into all this, that over the last 50, 60 years, especially in America, we have presented, we have come up with a false gospel that is a lie. And the false gospel is you can receive Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. There's a third way, is what we've said. It's not true, but we've said you can believe in him, but you can also still just live independently. That's not a thing. It's not a thing. It doesn't matter how badly you want it to be a thing. It doesn't matter how bad you want to argue with me that it's a thing. It, nowhere will you find that in the word of God. Nowhere. And so, I'm telling you this in love because you have to know this, that these are the only two options. And if you want to walk in freedom, if you want to find the source of your freedom, Give all of yourself to Jesus. Lay down your agenda, lay down your will, lay down your plans, and come to Him. It's not a contract where we have all these things and Jesus, I'm going to believe in you, but, but here's, here's what I like and these are my hopes and dreams, and then we sign the bottom and when we somehow think He signs it. It's just simply signing our name to a blank piece of paper and then going here. And he gets to fill in whatever he wants. That's the way it works. That's the way that it's always worked. And that, brother or sister, please hear me the good news that is where your freedom is found. That's where your freedom is found. Um, Again, this idea of presenting, it's the idea of taking a stand with someone. Uh, That's what he's calling you to this morning and again please please hear me I I hope you understand let me try again just the good news in this is that there are burdens here this morning there are burdens not just from other people's sin and not just from life circumstances but there are burdens from our own sin and there is a place where you can lay them down there is a place where you can have them lifted It is in coming to the cross of Christ and giving him your life. Secondly, the way this freedom works, understanding the nature of our freedom. The nature of our freedom. Here's the deal. It is rooted in new desires. So the source of our freedom is found in slavery to Christ, but the nature of our freedom is primarily rooted in new desires. Again, because you're like, well, what, in what way have I been set free? you have been set free in regards to your desires. Look at the first part of verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God. Why are we thanking God? Because God did something. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Thanks be to God that if you have come to Jesus Christ, then the nature of your freedom is such that at your salvation, he placed within you new desires that you once did not have. Desires that are strong, desires that are like a seed, that are tiny, but want to grow into a massive oak tree. Desires that want to rule your life—good desires, not bad desires. And again, he's saying that this is part of our salvation. Now he's he's just brushed over this briefly. He's dropped it as he's been going through uh, uh, as he's been writing this letter in Romans chapter two. Verses 28 and 29, it says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. How is that done? By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. That God circumcised our hearts by the power of the Spirit at salvation. Romans chapter 5, he says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given us. Now the reason this is important is because we have to understand the nature of where our freedom lies, and that it lies in these new desires that are a gift of God that he gives us, that he puts inside of us. He puts new loves inside of us. And, and I um, this should be kind of like a Captain Obvious type thing, but I think we miss this many times, is that the, Is the problem ever really that you don't know what to do? Is it? I, I don't think it, like, when I don't respond to my wife well, respond to my family well, when I don't respond to anybody well, it's not that I'm super smart, but I'll be honest with you, in that moment, I know what I should do. The problem is that I don't want to, right? So it's not in the what, it's in the fact that we don't want to do it. Think about the giving of the law in the Old Testament. God comes down in a cloud that has lightning and fire spewing from it. There is an earthquake. He calls Moses up onto the mountain. He gives him the law. He says, do this. This will be good for you if you do this. It was given to them in love. Like you could not You could not tell somebody what to do in a more emphatic way than God did at Sinai, yet just knowing what to do was not enough because they didn't want to do it. Why? Because there are these old desires inside that still held them captive that they were still slaves to. And so the heart of the new covenant is that Jesus Christ comes now and not just deals with the outward or what to do, but he gives us new desires on the inside that we might want to walk in it. Do we walk in it perfectly? No. Do we still turn from it at times? Absolutely. But there are new desires nonetheless that once were not there, and thanks be to God, that they are in us. And and just understand what Paul's doing here, because I think we think about this in the exact opposite terms. We go, oh yeah, I sinned. I'm a slave to sin. No, no, no. The word of God says you're free. And just stop for a second and maybe practice exactly what Paul's doing here. He's literally stopping and thanking God. Thanks be to God. And now, hear me, Like for each one of us right now, I know no one is more aware of our sin probably other than God than we are, each one individually. But I think it would help us very practically walk in victory if we would take time just to thank him for the new desires that he's put inside of us. Amen? That's that's, that's not boasting. Why? Because I didn't, believe me, anything in me that desires Jesus, that loves him, I promise you that's not from the old man Eric Miller. It's not. It's because Jesus put something new inside of my heart and he's put it inside of your heart as well too. And these, these desires need to be cultivated and as we as we cultivate these desires, it, it helps us to walk in more and more freedom. So you, I've, I've said this before, but the Christian life, hear me, it is far more like gardening than it is manufacturing. It is far more like like planting a tree than it is building a house. There are new desires that are put in us at the moment of salvation. We've been born again by the imperishable seed, Peter says in his epistle. And and this seed is in us and it has new desires in it it that, that are now in us that want to flourish and wants to grow. And what we have to do is cultivate it. And the way that we cultivate those desires is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's through abiding. It's through resting. It's through meditating upon his word. It's through not just reading the word, but when you read the word and you come upon the good news and the promises that are in it, that we stop and we thank him and we claim them. And we rejoice that though we might not feel it or see it in our lives in that moment, that those promises are true for us. Because all the promises find their yes in Christ Jesus, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Thomas Chalmers, an old school Puritan guy back in the 17th century, um, wrote a book whose title pretty much sums it all up. The title of Thomas Chalmers' book is The Expulsive Power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. What does expulsive mean? It's the idea of like, kind of like being expelled or, or, or cast out. It's like the casting out power of a new affection. How do you overcome sinful desires? With greater desires for, for Jesus. See, the law just said don't. The, the new covenant and these new desires says not just don't, but I've got something better for you. A relationship with with the living God. Let me give you another illustration. Um, I I think my my love of food is well documented at this point. Um, I feel like I use a food or restaurant analogy quite regularly. You've heard me talk about the filet marsala the filet at, uh, at 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 Carabas, one of my favorites. I've even talked about Chick Fil A. You know. Um, Fast food, sit-down food, it's all good to me. Uh, But another one of my favorite places is the Cheesecake Factory. And they've got a big menu, but I'm kind of like a simple guy. like I like a good steak. I like steak at Carrabba's, but I'll also at times just take like a burger or a good sandwich over that. And one of my favorite uh, meals, or formerly one of my favorite meals at the Cheesecake Factory, was the uh, California Cheese Steak. Anybody? Can we talk about this a little bit? Okay, all right. Never mind. It was pretty good. And I would just, you know, and I, like when I go to order food, like I, I just, I, it's a massive menu. I'm so, I know what my one thing that I like and I'm afraid to get something new. Because I don't want to, because if I get it and I don't like it, then I hadn't missed my opportunity to eat the thing that I really like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So here's the thing though. I was just, we'd go and massive menu and Hannah's always like trying different things and I'd just be like, California cheesesteak fries and so on. till one day Hannah for herself ordered fish tacos. And they give you four little mini tacos, very good. And she ate three of them and one was left. She's like, do you want it? And I was like, yeah, I want it. And I ate that fish taco and the expulsive power of that fish taco cast out my desire for the California cheese steak. very silly, and the analogy breaks down at some points, but, but please, please get this. In your battle with sin, your practical power in your daily life of sanctification over it is found in greater desires for Jesus Christ and what he offers. Okay? And so as you taste of him and taste of his promises... Again and again and again, you you overcome, and these other desires are are cast out. They are they are put away. So the source of the source of our freedom is found in slavery to Christ. The nature of our freedom is found in new desires. But lastly, the guardian of our freedom, and this is cool. And I man, I, man, I want us to get this. Okay, the guardian of our freedom. Look at the last part of verse seventeen. He says, "You became obedient to the from the heart." To the, and and this is very technical, but so open the Bible, look at look at this part of the text. It says, to the standard, you can circle that word, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now, this is somewhat of a strange phrase, okay? Because here's what he's not saying. Don't miss this, don't read it backwards. And he, he does say this in other places in the Bible, but it's not what he's saying here. He does not say that this standard of teaching was committed to them. Jude chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul talks about how we've we've had this gospel message committed to us as believers, and we're stewards of it to share it. But that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is, is not that the message has been committed to us, but that we have been committed to this message or to this teaching. And the word "committed" there again—it's a, a very strong Greek word, and it's literally the idea of being delivered over to or guarded, or delivered and guarded from, from one to the next. When they would, when 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 Pilate and Herod were doing the thing, and they would, and and the the Roman soldiers, they handed Jesus over. They were delivering him over. It's this word here that we have been handed over. Paul says to this message, and the word for standard here—it's it's this idea of an imprint. It's the idea of of an image on a coin. It's literally the idea of a bruise that is left from a blow or or from a branding iron. And so what we have here is a message that literally marks us. And we have been handed over, we have been delivered to this message. And it is this message that guards us. Now this is of the utmost importance because again, and I've I've already kind of said this a little bit, but it's more explicit here, is that if you want to walk in freedom, in increasing freedom, in your battle against sin, not just have it forgiven, but walk in freedom from its power, then you must come back again and again and again and again to the message of the gospel. To the message that, and if you'll just look how Paul words it here, end of verse seventeen, beginning of verse eighteen. Look at it. You became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, verse eighteen. How? What is this standard of teaching? It's that. Well, here it's just part of it, but it, it's true, and it's a decent summary. Is that we have been set free in Christ Jesus. And the more we come back to the good news of the gospel, not what we do, but what Jesus has done, remember, as we've talked about over the last several weeks, there is more grace in Christ Jesus than there is sin in you. What he did on the cross is greater than what you do in your rebellion. And as we come back to the truth of the gospel... That his work on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection is greater than what we come with even in our sin and rebellion. This message guards us, it bruises us, it imprints us, it brands us, and it forms us into the image of Christ and into a people who walk in freedom. This is such good news. This is I say it this way, it's not just the, the teaching of the gospel doesn't just set us free, it keeps us free. It doesn't just set us free, it keeps us free. This is why Paul was so bent out of shape In Galatians, or in in, in Galatia, in the book of Galatians, where there's a people who are coming in, and he preached the gospel, and they were given over to that, and it was beginning to brand their lives. They were becoming a gospel-guarded, gospel-centered people, but now here came somebody else um, with another gospel, a false gospel, and he says to them, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting, deserting him, Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who want to trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Is that We come back to this gospel again and again because it marks us, it brands us, it keeps us in John chapter 17. Jesus, as he's getting ready to go to the cross and then subsequently rise from the dead, go back up to heaven, listen to what he says. It's similar language of being handed over to the truth, to this message of the gospel. He's praying in John 17 and he says, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that, they may, that my joy might be fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Now listen, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Paul, in the book of Acts chapter 20, he, is, he was spent several years in the, in the city of Ephesus. He has now left that church there on its own. They're well established, they have elders, but he's coming back to them now, and he knows that he's never going to see them again. And he says to them these words, to the Ephesian elders. He says, Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. And then a few verses later, in verse 32, he says this to them. Knowing that he's never going to see them again, he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What I'm saying is that's the same idea in John 17 and in Acts 20 that Paul is saying here is that we have been handed over, we have been delivered to a standard of teaching, as he puts it here, which is the message of the gospel. I know there was a lot. I'll begin to wrap up here, okay? But just very practically speaking, let me, let me put it this way maybe I haven't been hearing this or getting this, is that the more legalistic a church is and the more law a church preaches, the more sinful it will be. Right. Right. We think the opposite. We think that we need laws and rules in order to make us holy. That's not how it works. It only stirs up the flesh. But when we are committed to the gospel of grace... The gospel of Jesus Christ. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Where it is proclaimed week in and week out and day in and day out to one another that sin will have no dominion over you, brother or sister, because you're not under law but under grace. The more holy lives we then lead. Because grace stirs holiness in the life of the Christian. Worship team, you can come up. And we'll close. I just uh, brothers and sisters, please please hear me this morning. My heart breaks for Christians who know Jesus as their Savior, and yet would describe the vast majority of their life as being just simply given over to sin. The struggle is real for all of us. For myself, Alan, I appreciate you sharing this morning. It was fitting and very apropos. But I just want to remind us that what Jesus has done and the freedom that he offers, folks, it's not just a fairy tale in a land far, far away. It's the reality for his people. As we come and are molded and are shaped by this message of grace, that he wants for us. And this morning, in just a few minutes, we're going to come and we're going to take communion. And the Bible says clearly in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we come, we are to come and search our hearts. We're to examine ourselves is the word that it uses. But here's the deal. like, Come, examine yourself. Look what's in you that's not right. Look at the desires and the patterns of sin that aren't right. But then don't go try to fix it yourself. Come to Jesus. He's where the freedom is found. And in regards to the way that, that men judge sin in the way, and in the way that we, that we talk about it, I'm sure that there are many people sitting here this morning that are like, yeah, but Eric, I've got some real doozies. And they didn't just happen 10 years ago. They happened yesterday. This morning. Again, there is more grace in Christ Jesus than there is sin in you. And I'm not making light of that sin or any sin or my own sin. It is our sin that put Jesus on the cross. But to the cross he went and from the grave he rose. And he stands to help us this morning. Would you just bow your heads with me? Father, I I pray that as we come this morning to your table, I, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give a real freedom that has already been won and that has already been handed to us in the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. But Father, I pray that again today that you would fill our hearts with faith to believe it and to receive it. Lord, I pray that though there might be some that feel like they are enslaved to sin. But Lord, if they know you as their Savior, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would agree with the word of God and what it says that is true. Is that in Christ Jesus, they have been set free and they've been given new desires that you want to cultivate more and more and more until the day you take them home or you come back. So Father, please, please help us this morning. Please help us to have that unique combination that only the gospel brings of being both sober and yet also filled with joy at what you've done for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.